Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Yankee legend and skipper for the Florida Marlins, Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly. The fans want a dinger out of him. This one by Mattingly. Oh! Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I'm joined by a six-time All-Star, nine-time Gold Glove winner, the AL MVP in 1985. He's currently the skipper of the Marlins and is simply known as Donnie Baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, Don Mattingly. Don, thanks for coming on the program. Oh, Brett, I'm glad to be on and, and have a chance to talk with you. Yeah, it's great having you. Uh Okay, is this true? You're ambidextrous because for a guy like me, I can't even eat left-handed. I was doing my prep work on you, and it started in Little League for you. I said, Donnie's playing second base. I had no clue that you can actually throw right-handed. Do you do everything right? You do everything both both hands? Uh, not really. I think I'm primarily left-handed, but I've always been able to throw right-handed. You know, so it was growing up, all my brothers right-handed. Um, you know, caught in little league, pitched right-handed in little league some, played short in Babe Ruth, third. So it was kind of cool being able to do it both ways. It seems like when I got to high school, uh, that's when it kind of turned more left-handed, and then it just kind of went – the right-handed just kind of fell off the map. I mean, if you had to, could you hit right-handed? I tried it young, but it was like it felt so funny. Uh, I think, again, because I think I'm naturally left-handed. And I remember hitting a couple of games and just pulling balls like way foul, right? Because I guess that, that bottom hand, the left hand was just dominant. And it, and it felt funny. So from then on, I was like, you know, I never really had any trouble left-handed, so I just kind of stayed left. Well, it's amazing. For someone like me, like I said, I can't do anything left-handed. To be able to, to pitch in a, in a game, you know, for me thinking I had to pitch left-handed or even hit, I tried it early in high school. You know, a coach came to me and said, hey, you can probably hit left-handed. And, uh, you know, I was this kid, just baseball rat. I'll do anything you ask me to do. And I tried it and it was like, this is not going to work. You know, I just felt so out of sync. And we had Chili Davis on recently that, you know, switch hitting. And I said, wasn't right. it weird for you? You know, he said, no, I was a right-handed hitter. And I just turned around and it was kind of easy for me. And I just yeah. went with it. it. It's it's just for, <clears throat> for me, it's just amazing because my body doesn't work that way. When I hear a story from somebody else that, it, no, this is kind of easy. It trips me out when I see a left-handed hitter play golf right-handed. I'm thinking, doesn't yeah. the left-handed swing just translate to, you know, just a different arc? And they're like, no, I just feel really weird. I can't, I can't make that left-handed swing. And right-handed was a lot easier for me. It doesn't make sense to my brain. Yeah, well, I tell you what, there's a few left-handed sliders out there that I wish I could have switched it. I know that. Yeah, turn around. <laughs> right. I, I can feel you there. I, felt, I, yeah. I had a lot that I'd like to, oh, man, bring me the lefty, yeah. please. Today, I can't see the spin. I can't see the rotation. <laughs> Yeah, Randy Johnson wasn't any fun left-handed. I'd love no. to be. On, I'd like to be on that other side. <laughs> Donnie, he wasn't fun right-handed. <laughs> no, that's what I hear. Yeah, well, I don't hear. I've seen it. This, that stuff yeah. was amazing. 
Uh, um, you're born in Evansville, Indiana. What were you like as a kid? What was it always baseball? You have a favorite oh, no. player, favorite team? Uh, yeah. You know, I kind of grew up as a kid. You watched like the different teams you watch. I was all sports, right? My brothers and again, backyard football, basketball. I'd say basketball was probably my first love, you know, cause that's the one sport that you could, you can kind of go work on your game. You can shoot, you can dribble, you can practice different shots all by yourself. And, uh, so that's probably was my first love. Um, but yeah, we played all, all sports, right? My brothers played and just kind of my life was kind of, or our life was kind of just going field to field, different sports, different brothers, uh, just around sports kind of my whole life. Yeah. That's how it kind of was for us growing up. Um, you know, you, you played all the sports and Indiana, it made sense. I was, I was thinking before we came on, I'm like, he probably loves hoops. I loved hoops, but I just, I realized early in high school, there wasn't much future for me there, but I did love it. Um, go to high school. We talked about it. Uh, little league, you had quite a little league career and, and still it, it's funny to me. You were playing second base, you go to high school. And I think it's reach Memorial high. And yep. and I was reading about your dad and he was pretty staunch and and, and pretty serious about you getting a college education. And, and I don't know if it detoured from from where the Yankees ended up picking you in the draft, but uh, you signed a letter of intent with Indiana State and leading up to to you getting ready for college. Why Indiana State? Just because you were you were raised there or were there other offers? Did you consider any other colleges before that draft? Yeah, I think I was just like naive, honestly. Uh, Indiana State at that time was like probably fifth in the country. Uh, their coach uh, was a lot like my high school coach, kind of uh, tough, military, disciplined, and that, he seemed that seemed to resonate with me. Um, but I was naive because I was getting recruited by like Miami and Florida State, Oklahoma State, and getting these letters, and I was just like, why would I go all the way there to play baseball? Right. I can play right right here in Indiana. And then I, you know, you, you get out in the world a little bit. And you, you realize that Miami and Florida State were probably some of the best baseball in the country. Uh, but, yeah, I never really wanted to go to school, to be quite honest with you. My dad, you know, we we he was a, you know, a mailman and worked in the post office, worked all night. Um, and probably his his thought process was more like, you know, most people don't make it. And, you know, you got to have something to fall back on. And in my mind, it's like, man, I just want to go play. And so the Yankees, they, they drafted me. I, I don't know if it deterred them or not. Looking back, I probably wasn't a top type pick. You know, I was, I was pretty much slow. I didn't have a big arm. Uh, at that point, I didn't hit for power. I was pretty much, you know, hitting for average, left field all over, the, using the whole field, but not really pulling the ball out of the ballpark or anything. So I probably got drafted where I should have. And, but, you know, they can't, they don't recognize like just true hit. Right. And that's the one thing I could do. And um, so, yeah, I know my dad wanted me to go to school, but I, I had other thoughts. I think it worked out for the best, but you, you go <laughs> yeah, off. To, I yeah, so yeah. I think it worked out for the best. I think you made the right decision. Um so you sign, you go to A ball, you only hit 349 your first year. And for me, I always think about it. You know, I, I look back at my career and my path and 
man, I was like you when I was, when I was a senior in high school, I expected to be, you know, I want to be a high draft pick and, and go right into the minor leagues. And I ended up being, I don't know, 29th round or something like that. I ended up going to the college route and looking back, probably for me, it was the best thing. You know, I don't know if I was necessarily ready at 18 uh, maturity wise to go into pro ball. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, I'll never know, but you know, I don't have any regrets looking back. I often wonder though, for, for a young kid coming out of high school, because uh, people don't know, you know, you sit around and I've done a little coaching of, of my kids, you know, since I retired and the parents, you know, I'll, I'll, everybody's little Johnny's the greatest and, and they're going to tear it up. And, you know, I've been on the minor league side too. I worked a couple of years for the Oakland A's and, and did a uh, special assistant in the minor leagues. And it is different. I mean, it's not high school baseball and it's not even college baseball. You're playing with some men, especially you get to high A ball. Was it that big of an adjustment for you coming straight from high school? It doesn't seem like it was. Like I said, right out of the shoot, you hit 349 in your first in your in your pro debut, your your maiden voyage. So it seems like it was kind of kind of an easy transition. It, it, it honestly felt a little fairly easy hitting side. Uh, the other side was tougher for me. I'd pitched in high school, so my arm really kind of had deteriorated. As soon as I got to Oneonta, it was like you're in the outfield. Uh, and for the most part, I DH'd. And our manager, Art Masmanian, who's, who's like a legend in California, pretty much platooned me. And I just remember sitting behind him on the bus some days, and I'm like, Art, I can hit lefties. And he's like, oh, I know you can, kid, or whatever. You know, he just kind of kept right, right. Yeah. Uh, but we got to the playoffs, and he put me in there against lefty, so that was good. But, yeah, I kind of all – you know, I hit, Booney, and, and honestly, I, I think just the fact that I grew up with older brothers, right, and we're always – I was always competing with guys five, ten years older than me in basketball or whatever we were doing, and I always held my own, right? And it's like one of those things I just always hit. Quite honestly, I hit 349 or whatever I hit that year – I was disappointed. I thought I should have been hitting like 400, right? Or four, you know, I mean, you come out of hitting 600 in high school and you're like 349 doesn't even sound that good, but you just don't realize as a kid that you're holding your own, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I feel like I hit right away and that was kind of my ticket. And the other side I had to learn and, and find a spot for myself. Next year, you only you followed it up in a ball. You only hit three fifty. You go to double A, where as everybody knows, and, and guys that play the game, double A is kind of that first test where if you can handle it in double A, you, you've got a chance of having a future in the big leagues. And then triple A, you hit three twenty five, uh, eighty two. You get your cup of coffee, like we all do. You only get twelve at bats. Uh, for New York. And then 83 comes along and become a, I, I think you were, you weren't playing full time at first. I think you were splitting time. I think Griffey was playing a little bit of first, uh, Billy Martin's your skipper. Um, you, you grow up in the Midwest coming from Indiana, all of a sudden you're a New York Yankee. How is that for you? When you first get called to the big leagues, we all have our story. Uh, but that had to be, a little bit of a shock, you know, playing in the Big Apple, uh, coming from the Midwest. How was that for you? No, I'd say shock would be, say it mildly, right? <laughs> I was pretty much scared, right? Pulling into New York, first time, Yankee Stadium, uh, just like kind of lost, right? And don't know anything or what's going on. But 
you know, I've always, I was always able to kind of compartmentalize the baseball. And that's what I always tried to hold on to in New York is that, you know what, all this other stuff, I don't know how, you know, it, it scares me. I'm uncomfortable, but I always felt like the field was something that always stayed the same. And that part, I just kept the field, the field and tried to deal the best I could with, with New York. And then over time you get comfortable, right? You know where you're at, you know, your surroundings, uh, you get comfortable with the city and the people and it just gets easier after that. But when I first got there, it was like, okay, keep it simple, <laughs> play baseball. Don't worry about the other stuff. Just get to the park. And you know, that's pretty much it. And you've been on the other side for a long time now. And, and, you mentioned you were scared. I'll, I'll tell you what, I was scared to death. I remember when I got called up and everybody thought, well, you grew up in the game with your dad. And I said, that's one thing, running around the clubhouse as a, as a punk kid, probably getting in everybody's way. And yeah, I was very comfortable with that. But when I got called up, I was like everybody else. Now, this is this is me for real. This is I have to prove that I belong here. So I didn't feel that comfort because I grew up in the game. Yeah, I don't I don't think it hurt me, but I, I had the same feeling. you. I, I was scared. It's like, man, I'm petrified. And the game was a little bit different, you know, when especially when you came up. And even when I came up in the early 90s, um, those veterans made you scared. It's like you got to earn your keep around here, kid, before you get the respect that, that you so much want. Uh, I see the game today. It's a little bit different. You know, I, I see a lot of positives in today's game, but but the fear factor wasn't there. It seems like now you're 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 on the ground on a daily basis. You see how the game's changed over the years. But, uh, you know, today it's kind of a more that that rookie comes and he's he's treated a little bit more of an equal than we were back in our day when. I, I was told by Jay Buner, I'll never forget, I tried to sit in the back of the bus in 92 when I first got called up. And he said, hey, kid, what do you think you're doing back here now? Get up front, sit down and shut up. And I just kind of gave him a look. You know, it was tough love. He was great. I mean, he would give me the hardest time. He would ride me every day when I got to the ballpark, him and Chris Bozio. And then they'd take me to dinner and pay my rent. So it, it was it was worth taking the heat. But, uh, yeah, it's it, you know, that hits on something for me when you say that. It's not easy when you're a rookie in the big leagues. I mean, it's time to put up or shut up or you know where you're headed. You're headed back down. Yeah, that's for sure. I think, I think um, you know, as you've come through the ranks and with the Yankees, you had to fight your way through. It was a pretty good system. Um, and you know, you, you go a ball, you kind of handle that. You go to double a, you handle that. You go to triple a, you're handling that. And you just don't know how good the big league is, right? You just don't know what it's going to be like. So it's that unknown. And, you know, you mentioned the call up in 82. And I think that was probably as good for me as anything, because I didn't play. I was there a month, went through, you know, where do I put my luggage? How do I get to the ballpark? Where do I stay? Uh, and then just got to watch games and play a little bit, right? But it's like as you watch games and you get involved, I, I remember telling myself, like, yeah, I, I'm going to get two at-bats here or one there. Who knows what's going to happen, right? But I, I thought to myself right then and there, if I ever get 100 together, 100 at-bats, somewhere in there, I'm going I'm to catch fire, right? And I, I just felt that. And just seeing the game, you know you could play there. And so that call up was so valuable for me. Uh, and you're right. The, the guys are tough on you. They're not so much tough on you. It's more like you're just not part of the group, right? It was just like they put you up front on the bus 
you know, I had Gossage and Nettles and Willie Randolph and Gidry and Rigetti and Oscar Gamble. These dudes were old school, right? And you know what? It's, it, it is pretty much shut up and listen. And if you did that and earned your way, then they started, like, like you said, they take care of you. Hey, let's go. We're going to dinner. Hey, don't even think about paying, right? That type of stuff. You, you do this for the next guy, right? And, and I think that's a great way to grow up in the game. And I still think that happens. In the game, it's a little different. You're right. Guys are come up more as equals. I think there's so much more, um, like, recognition of prospects now. I mean, you see prospects. You read MLB. You're talking about, the, oh, we're, this prospect's doing this. This prospect's doing that. And so they get a lot more attention. People know about them, and it's like they always want to see the next guy, right? And so when they come up, there's, there's more fanfare than there was in the past, which I don't know if that's good or bad because – you know, there's expectations so fast instead of letting the guy come up, play, make adjustments, and then work from there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just different. And, you know, time will tell. History will tell whether it's the right way to do it or, or the way we did it was was the right way. You never know. It, it, and, it, and as you mentioned, it wasn't that they were that hard on you. It's just you had to earn your stripes kind of a little bit. That that team you were on that sounds pretty scary to me you know just from afar i was scared enough with with buner and and bazio and they're they're sweetheart guys you know when the game's over but during that time it was like hey you little rookie punk you, you know show your stripes i and uh you know it, it was a process but i think it, it made me better as i went on and i wasn't that guy you know as a veteran player when a young player was come up, I, I wouldn't haze them or give them a hard time. As long as you respected the uniform and respected the veterans in the room, I kind of let the game do the, do the hazing. You know, if a kid was cocky or, or, or was verbose, I'd look at him and I'd smile and I'd just say, well, I don't have to humble this kid because Greg Maddox is on the mound tonight. He's going to do that for me. And I like, I let them, <laughs> I let the game kind of take care of that humbling that we all went through, you know? And yeah, no uh, I don't know. No it's question. different strokes for different folks. That's just how I handled it. When I, when I got my turn at, in that veteran seat. Yeah. You just, uh, you know how, how it was when you came up and, and I, I never forgot how it felt like coming up and knowing that those feelings, we talked about the game being different. But those feelings of coming up and being nervous and not knowing what's going to happen and if they go 0 for 4 or in a 1 for 15 stretch or giving up runs, you know they feel bad just like everybody else has in the game. So that part doesn't change. And, you know, the game's going to keep evolving. I mean, players are more athletic today than ever. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I mean, the balls that are hit on the ground now, I mean, are absolutely like where you're seeing infielders just getting cuffed right on balls that are just smoked and you're like these dudes are hitting the ball so hard and players make plays that are unbelievable i think in general and we all complain about different things and strikeouts or whatever but i I think that's just part of the the changes of the game and and that's not going to go away it'll keep evolving from here yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. It, it does change, and each each era is, you know, the kids own it. I, I get asked all the time about, oh, what about this would have never happened in your day? I said, wait a minute, it's not my day. The rules of the game are dictated by the players playing the game now. I had my time. You know, I remember in the middle of my career, 
I'd be I'd be getting calls from dad or or grandpa for me was the big one. You know, no one was better than Ted Williams and and Bob Feller. And I had to hear about it every time about my generation. I'd say I'd say, Gramps, give me a break with that. I said, you never face Randy Johnson. You know, oh, Randy Johnson, no big deal. <laughs> you know, that's how yeah. that's how they were. That's how that old guard is. So I made it a point when I got out of the game to not just judge these kids. Oh, these kids, they don't do it the right way. That's, you know, we do it old school. No, that was the way we did it. That's the way we play. It doesn't mean every generation has to. You know, history will judge each and every generation for what they feel is the best or their favorite, you know, a different fan base. So I look at the kids today. There's a lot of positive things about the game today. These kids are a little different than us. You know, everything's kind of a – a showboat type thing, but everybody has their, their little way and, and the game accepts it. So, so I kind of stay out of that. Like, this isn't my game. This is their game. Yeah. I do things differently, but that doesn't make it right or wrong. Take it for what it is. You mentioned the physicality. It's unbelievable what you see now, you know, in these kids coming to the big leagues, you're right. The game is so big and strong and fast. Uh, as being a, a former second baseman, I was really critical of the other second basements during my generation, you know, and I'd look to the Robbie Alomar, I'd say, okay, he, he does it right. I'd really watch each second baseman, but there were a handful of guys that I really respected how they played the game defensively. I watch kids today and there is just so much talent, not only at second base, but shortstop and third base. These guys are moving around the field so much. It really is unbelievable. And, and you're getting to see it on a daily basis. Uh, the physicality of these kids now today, really, it, it's really, they've really upped the game. Yeah. And it's in everything, Booney. I mean, I watch NBA basketball. And I mean, this is a game that these guys are doing things that aren't recognizable hardly to me anymore. They, they, they do incredible things on the floor, right? And I think it's the same in baseball. And I remember as a coach, and I, and I go back to like, the guys are different. I remember certain coaches would be like, oh, the old, these guys today, players today, you know what? And we probably, you know, our, our generation probably said, oh, kids growing up today don't do it like we did it. They don't have it hard. I always wanted to be that coach that always said, hey, the game's getting better. Players are getting better, right? And I've always felt like the greatest players of all time could play today. And the greatest players today could have played any time, right? It's not like, the, you know, Ted Williams wouldn't be a great hitter today, right? He'd be a great player because he'd had all the advantages that these guys have. Sure. Right? The weight, the diet, the, everything that we know right going into this and again the world just keeps evolving sports keep evolving all different sports and it's baseball's no different 1984 you get your first shot to to play every day you're an all-star uh you win a batting title it was pretty awesome first time you get to play you you hit 343 23 and 110 you get 207 hits you lead the league in that you lead the league in doubles 44 and I think it came down to the last game of the season, and it was between you and, and Winfield for the batting title. Is that true? Yeah, that that's true. And uh, <clears throat> obviously, I was like you said, I was a rookie. I was my first full season. So anything that was going on with that, it, we were back and forth all year long. It seemed like with that with the the average. And the one thing I always remember about that is how great Dave was to me, because he was kind of you know as a young player. He's a guy that signed a 10-year deal. 
uh, you know, lots of pressure on him. And everybody loves the underdog. Guy's making no money yet <clears throat> at that point. And he just treated me great. And I, I never forget that. We, we are still friends to this day. And just the way he ha- handled that, like, I have so much respect for him from that. But that was a fun time for me. I always look at those times like, you know, I was hitting 330 or 330-something going into the last day. I'm like, you can't lose in this situation as a young player. You're like hitting 340 in the big leagues, 330 in the big leagues. And so for me, it was, it was a pretty easy situation. I think it was a lot harder on Dave. Follow that up at 85. Uh, your first gold glove, silver slugger, all-star, and, oh, yeah, you win the MVP. <laughs> you drive in 145. You 211 hits. And now I'm thinking about that kid from the Midwest who's scared in 82, scared a little bit probably in 83, like we all are. And now all of a sudden you back up 84 and 85 and you're kind of, you're kind of the toast of the town in in the big apple. Um, Was it, was it, how big of a change was that for you from some unknown kid? And now all of a sudden you put these two years up, you put these two years up anytime in the history of baseball, people are going to take notice, but how was that for you becoming now you're Donnie baseball? And uh, that had to be a pretty big shock as far as, you know, going from an unknown to where you, where you're at, especially in the biggest city in the country. Yeah, a little bit, but I think the, my original, you know, thoughts of like making sure I took care of the field because that didn't change. And, you know, and like anybody that makes it, you're driven, right? And, you know, you, like you said, I, I hit 343 that first year, a uh, full year of playing. But then as the next year you come in, you always hear about the sophomore jinx and, oh, the league's going to figure him out. So, like, you're still going out there the next year going, okay, you think you, I got to go prove myself again. I got to go prove that I'm going to make the adjustments. Uh, and so I think you're always fighting for that respect, right? And to prove to people that, hey, I can play. You're not going to be able to – just because I, I hit last year, you think you're going to make the adjustments and you're going to get me out all of a sudden. It's like I, I was going to prove them different, right? I was going to show them that this isn't going away. Shoot, 86 might even been better. You hit 352. You only get 238 hits. Now it's kind of you're setting the bar. 200 hits is is it for you? Um, I'm looking at the numbers for this for this section of your career. It's pretty daunting. 87 interesting to me though. Uh, you hit six grand slams, and I think I remember my grandpa telling me. I think he hit five grand slams in a year one time. But you hit six Grand Slams, and not only that year, that's the year you hit homers eight games in a row. Only guy ever to do it, I think, later in 93 was was Junior, was Griffey Junior. But right. for a guy, you know, for a guy that hit a few home runs, me, in my career, I couldn't imagine eight in a row. I mean, I think my best, I, I might have hit home runs three games in a row, and it felt like I just – hadn't homered in a month or hadn't not homered in a month. Um, take me through that streak and, and how amazing it must be. I mean, it's gotta be like, well, I'll probably hit a homer tonight and you do. Yeah. Do it the next night, the next night, the next, I mean, take me through that eight games. It had to be pretty, pretty special. I know, uh, as a teammate or as a, as an opposing player, it would be something pretty cool to watch. Yeah. That was a funny stretch for me because like, you talked about 86 and I, and it seemed like in 87 that year, 
I, I really couldn't find my rhythm. Like I was, I was having trouble, not, you know, I mean, to a sense, I, I'd never really felt like I was doing what I was capable of. I, and I kept searching for 86, right? I kept searching for that feel again. And I wasn't, I couldn't find it. And I remember the Yankees sent in Bobby Mercer to talk with me. And they, they, you know, they don't tell you they send him in, but all of a sudden Bobby's there and he was out just totally talking, hitting. And he goes, you ever think about just kind of, cause he goes, you ever think about just kind of getting straight up and down and just sinking down. And I tried it that night and hit a homer and it just like it fit perfectly. And it all of a sudden I had the feel. And, you know, I, I think I homer uh, five straight before the all-star game. And then we have the three day break and usually, you know, three days off, you don't come back thinking, oh, I'm going to keep rolling, but it really was more a hot streak than anything. And I felt like I was just trying to separate games. Uh, and I never looked at myself as a home run hitter. So it was more like, Hey, let's get a good pitch to hit something you can drive uh, that type of thing all the time. And, you know, and it just kept going and it kept growing. It was really a, it was a phenomenon for me because I truly wasn't a true power hitter. That was a time in my life. I was a, you know, sophomore in high school or junior in high school. And I remember that. I remember when you crouched down because, and I don't know if you remember this, but right around that time, 85, 86, I was, I got a, dad was playing for the angels and I got to be buddies with the visiting clubhouse the clubby there. I think his name was Dave. Right. And he gave me a job. You know, I'm, I'm a typical high school kid. I need some money for the summer to hang out with my buddies. So I'd work uh, the visiting side. I'd go down the right field line and I'd, I'd play catch with the right fielder that night. And I'd sit there and talk to the fans. And I thought, this is great. I get to come to the yard, make a little money on the side. And uh, so I remember you when you when you come in there. Oh, there's Donnie. And I remember you'd crouch down and I would start, you know, I was completely opposite. I'm a right-handed second baseman. You're, you're first baseman. But I remember I'd talk about it. I'd like, look at how Mattingly hits. He's like a snake in the grass when you get down. And I started to incorporate that myself. I'm like, I'm going to try it and see if it works. Now, I didn't get to the point where my hitting style was like yours. But you know how, you know how sometimes you're doing something in the cage and, and you think to yourself, you, you think what you what you look like, then you see video and it doesn't look anything like what your brain tells you. Well, that was me in my stance. I'm like, Oh, I got the Mattingly going. I'm, I'm a snake in the grass and I'm going to come get this, get this heater. And then I'd see somebody would take a video with me with a, with a big VHS recorder and they'd show it to me. I'm like, that doesn't look like Mattingly, but I remember that time. And, and, uh, yeah, you you were a little bit of an influence on me early because I'd watch you, and then you Yankees come to town. You know, I'd probably be cleaning your shoes, and I'd be ah, yeah, I'm gonna try him tonight in my in my uh, Connie Mack game that I got in Long Beach. But uh, right. interesting time and a I cool like, and a cool know, time. I, I followed like Rod Carew and different guys, and I tried to emulate like Rod. Like he used the whole field, hit for average. He, he seemed like that kind of guy that I was, and. You know, then you see videos yourself and you think, yeah, I don't look anything like Rod, right? right? But you think you do when you're up there, don't you? Yeah, you do. And I think it's more of a feeling. And it's funny you say snake in the grass because I used to write, uh, like when I was really young and just starting, I would write feelings down that I had. More feelings than like, like I was feeling like I was coiled, waiting to like ambush and like a snake and like a cat in the field, right? You wanted to kind of, I wanted to have that feeling as a hitter that I'm kind of, on the prowl, hunting, quiet, 
hunting an area. And if that ball gets into that area, I'm just trying to snatch it. Right. And that's kind of the thoughts that I had uh, with hitting. And when you say snake in the grass, it's funny because that's one of the thoughts I had was like, you see a snake coiled up and just ready to pounce. Uh, I was looking over, man, you had a lot of managers. You obviously had Billy Martin those days, by the way, when I was in that, (laughs) that visiting clubhouse. I was, I was cleaning it, cleaning Donnie's shoes and I was getting vodka for, for Billy Martin. Uh, you went from, you went from, and by the way, my dad catches wind of it. You know, I'm this 15 year old punk in the, in the visiting clubhouse and he hears I'm getting vodka for Billy. I think him and Billy had it out. Don't you send my 15 year old to get your liquor anyway. Uh, so you had Billy Martin, you had Yogi, uh, Lou comes in, Billy comes back, you get Pinella back, Bucky Dent, Stump Merrill. I mean, you had a cast of characters. I, I and to this day is, is my favorite of all time. I had uh, Lou two different tenures early in my career and then and then later in my career. To this day, I, I played for, you know, I got the privilege of playing for a lot of really good guys, Bobby Cox and, and Davey Johnson, but Lou... Bruce Bochy was one of my favorite. But when push came to shove, at the end of the day, uh, Lou was by far my favorite. You know as well as me, the stories are endless when you come to Lou. But how was it playing for that many different guys in New York during that time? I mean, that's that's a lot of big-name guys. I mean, Yogi Berra and, and Billy. You know, Billy's probably the one I want to hear a little bit about because I know the rest of the guys. But uh, interesting, you got a lot of different – tastes and a lot of different experiences from from a lot of great baseball men how much did that shape what you're doing now uh do you take anything from these individual managers oh absolutely absolutely i feel like i take managers i feel like as a player i took from players uh good and bad some things you take are good and i could say billy there's things i took that i feel like were good but there's other things that he did that i i didn't want right so that got pushed out the side door Right. And so I took the good, what I thought fit me. Uh, but it's interesting playing for those guys. I always look at Billy as like the guy that he believed in me early. Like he, he pulled me right out of spring training that year. I made the club in 83. You know, I had no idea I was going to make a club. Right. But I was just there playing and Billy seen something in me and believed in me and played me over guys that had signed like, you know, multi-year contracts and stuff. He started playing me in front of these guys. And so I always look at Billy and I remember Billy, I always thought I played for this high school coach, Quentin Merkel, who's to me, a great coach, but he was so hard on us. Tough, tough, tough. And I thought nobody could be worse than that. There's no way Billy's worse than that. Right. So you go to spring training with Billy and Billy is so relaxed. It's like, this guy doesn't care one bit about what's going on in spring training. Right. And you know, we're playing games. We're going through it, you know, doing what we do, your drills and all that. He doesn't care about the games. First game of the year. It's in Seattle. And this dude is a maniac. I'm like, oh, here it is. There, you know, it's like all of a sudden the light came on. When those games started counting, Billy was a whole different guy. And and he was tough on you. He was tough on young players. Uh, but I, I look at that as good, right? It's good for me because he, he was tough on me. Uh, you mentioned Lou. I played with Lou. Then Lou was a hitting coach and then played for him as a manager. And I think he has probably one of the biggest influences on me hitting wise, for sure. I think he turned me from being a guy that got a lot of hits to giving me power, taught me how to use the bottom hand. And all of a sudden I had power. 
And so he and kind of showed me how the swing worked. And it's helped me, you know, as a coach, I sit there, I can watch swings and see exactly what's going on with guys' swings and know exactly where it needs to be fixed. Uh, not that I have to try to do it anymore because you got to leave the hitting, hitting guys do their thing. But Lou gave me a gift, uh, I felt like. And, and, but all these guys, Buck Showalter was another guy I played with in AA, and, and now Buck's managing the Yankees. And I, he was a, a big influence too because he came in and taught me the value of – and really the value of creating the culture in the clubhouse because we'd, we'd had some rough years in there. Uh, in, the, in the late 80s, I had rough years in there too. And, but Buck came in and started bringing in players that, like, cared, right? And they may not have been the best players at that point, but they were guys that, that give shit, you know, and it bothered them when we lost. And he did a great job of turning that thing around. I really think him and, and Gene Michael were huge in the transformation of the Yankees from, you know, Buck was there 93, 94, 95, and then it just turned into a monster, right? But those guys did a great job. So I, I take from everybody, Booney, uh, quite honestly. You know, it took from your dad, right? The way he did things back there, like the way he pitched me, I learned from that, right? In those days, it was funny because, like, you go play the Angels and Bob Boone's catching, it's like you're kind of facing Bob Boone and how he's going to pitch, how he's pitching me and seeing what he's doing differently than other teams do it. And you go to Chicago and you got called in Fisk, and it wasn't those days there's not near the information. So each team would pitch you a little differently, right? And you had to figure out who's, who's coming after me here. And so I knew, always knew your dad when he was catching that he was the one that I had to deal with, right, as far as what they're trying to do to me. And so, you know, again, I think you take from everyone. That's interesting you say that because I really, especially as you, as you, you know, mature in the game and you get a little experience, you do, you really start hitting off the catchers. I, I used to do the same thing. Who we got behind the plate tonight? Cause he's smart and he's going to be thinking with me and I got to play a little chess with him. I actually talked to dad last night and I said, we're having Donnie on tomorrow. He goes, Oh, tell him I said hello. And he goes, and I'll tell you a little story about him. He goes, I'd never pitch Donnie inside. He goes, and I wanted to get everybody inside conscious, but not with him. I never pitched him inside. And he goes for three years, I didn't call for one pitch in on him. And he goes, and we go to Yankee Stadium, and I got a two-strike situation with Donnie up. And he goes, and I felt it was time. I hadn't called a heater in in three years, and that's the last thing he's looking for. He said, Brett, I called a heater in. He might have left it a little bit over the plate. And Donnie took me deep, and I went, damn it. And he told me that story last night. I said, "Well, if there's a if there's a spot in the in the uh, in the conversation, Dad, I'll pop that in." But he started laughing. He goes, "Yeah, I give Donnie my best." I said, "I will." So, uh, yeah. yeah, interesting that cat and mouse between hitter and uh, and catcher. It's a big thing, and and it's fun Absolutely. having it's fun having I the hitters on on the on the I will show. Say this. Go ahead, Brad. I think it's one. Yeah, I, I know you got you got to get ready to go here, but. I think it's one of the things that is missing today that guys don't pay attention to how a guy got him out or how he got me out last time or how this team's pitching me. They, they go to the iPad so fast just to look at their swing or what this or that is. I shouldn't say all, I don't want to generalize all of them, but I think in most of them are not paying attention to the, to how this guy pitched me, how they got me out 
what adjustments do I need to make tonight? When I see a guy the second time, third time, see a team that's pitching me a certain way. And that's one of the things I do think is, is, is gotten away from players a little bit. And that's one of my favorite topics. I mean, I can, we don't have enough time to go into it. I'd love to talk to you about this on a deeper level, but it, it's like, you're right. I mean, you take everything into account. It's not just the catcher. It's, it's that team. What have I done against them this series? What have I done against them in the past? Individual pitcher. If, if I hurt him on a certain pitch, is he that type of guy that's just going to abandon that pitch? Or is, he's gonna, is he a guy that goes right back to the well? All these factor in how you approach each bat, who's on deck? Did I talk to the guy that's sitting behind me tonight? How's he fared against this guy in the mound? So I know with the base open, are they going to come at me? Or are they more apt to be careful with me to get to him? Because he hasn't, you know, all this intel and stuff that I was fascinated with, especially later in my career, I learned all this. You know, I'd sit down with Edgar Martinez and we'd talk hours about our strategy, how we go to into each series and the thought process. And I love to talk that. And, I, and, you know, you watch a few guys in today's game, and I see that guy does it. You can tell he's thinking the game, thinking through each and every at-bat. But a lot of guys don't. You're right. They just write to the iPad and see what I can see. No, there's, there's so many things that, that go into setting up a pitcher. I, I used to watch Manny Ramirez, and I was amazed. I'm like, this is the most disciplined guy as far as for 162 games sticking to his routine. At least that's what I saw as an opponent. He was overwhelmingly disciplined in his approach, and he would not waver from whatever that approach was that night. And I think if you have that approach over 162, individually, you're going to give yourself the best chance of having as much success as you possibly can. That's that's at least my thought process. Yeah, no doubt. Manny was incredible. I had him in L.A. when I was doing the hitting out there. And he, he's just incredible. Number one, I think he knew he could, hit. He, could, he knew he could hit, right? That's the biggest thing. you got to have that belief in yourself. But this dude didn't worry about anything. I remember a night in Arizona, he hit a ball, like a kind of a ball, hit fairly good up the middle. And the pitcher get, you know, kind of knocks it down a little bit. And that's always a hit. So, you know, nobody – Nobody, they didn't like Manny, so they don't give him a hit. And I said, Manny, that's a knock, man. Do you want me to get that? I'll get that for you. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. I get three tomorrow. <laughs> and, he, and he did. And so I was like, uh, that's Manny right there. That's, uh, could you imagine having that attitude? Because hits are so important to us. I remember, you know, you can get four hits and they give you something and you only get three. I mean, a hit is a hit is a hit, at least for me. No and it's like, you'll lose sleep at night. <laughs> And and to hear Manny, you you tell that Manny story, I believe it because that's oh. that's the impression he gave to us as opponents. I never played with Manny, played against him for a lot of years, but I'm like, this guy doesn't give a shit. And I'm telling right. you, but I'll tell you what, you you get him to chase that break a ball early in the game, and you think when it's close and late, the eighth, you're going to throw that same break a ball. Beware! I used to tell my pitchers, I said, listen, do not go to that late in the game because he is sitting on your neck when it matters. And yep. uh, those are the guys that really thought through the game. Yeah, this is this is fascinating stuff for, for me. Yeah, I know we got to go. One more Manny story real quick because it, it, it always makes me laugh when I think about it. And anytime right. they bring up Manny, I think about it. So we're in Yankee Stadium. I'm doing the hitting there in New York. And Boston's in. And I'm taking my, my early guys down, like 3 o'clock at the cage. And, and you know New York. It was one cage at that time, right? Right. And it's a long walk so, for the visitor. Yeah, yeah. It's a long walk for the home, too. <laughs> yeah. But 
but but Manny's already been down there. He's just finishing up. He's already he got must have got in there at one o'clock or two o'clock. And he was struggling, right? He was hitting like two ten. It was probably getting towards the late April. He hadn't got rolling yet. And I said, and I knew Manny from from New York there and being around him. And I said, Manny, can you? I said, Manny, can you still hit? And he looked at me. And he goes, You know I can. <laughs> He's, he was unbelievable. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll move it along. Uh, you end up after '95. You take a year off '96. I think the Orioles wanted to sign you. You decided not to. '97. You ended up officially retiring. 307 career, nine gold gloves, an MVP, six All Stars. Uh, and this is what's pretty cool to me. I want to talk about about Steinbrenner a little bit. Just touch on that because uh, he's always someone as an opponent of the Yankees. I always look from it from afar, going, "I'd love to play for a guy like that." Because as tough as he is on you, and he and he might quote you in, on the front page of the sports page that you know you stink, but he he was always trying to win. I thought, and that's just the impression I got. And, and I always appreciated people that want to win, and it wasn't about just bottom lines. But 1997, you get a, pr- a pretty awesome honor. Uh, they retire your jersey number in New York, and, and nobody can wear that. When you get that phone call, uh, being a Yankee your entire career, uh, how cool of a phone call was that, that your jersey was, was going away? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Brett, you know, I talk about being scared, being from a small town in Indiana and going to New York and with a guy with no real expectations, you know, a draft 19th round pick and couldn't run, couldn't throw, didn't have power, all that stuff coming out of high school. Right. And to think you're going to end up in uh, Monument Park with with Mickey and Babe Ruth and, and the guys that you learn about once you get to New York. And, it, you know, it's still young. Right. So it was it was one of those things that was kind of it takes you back. And the the further you get away from it and look back, it's just a obviously a proud moment to be retired with those guys in New York. Ninety seven oh three, your special instructor with uh, with the Yankees, and then you end up uh, joining the staff. Joe Torre, uh, two thousand four to two thousand six, uh, you become the hitting coach. Seven, you go to bench coach, and then and then. Uh, and then you head to, to head to L.A. with Joe. How was that? Well, talk about Joe Torre a little bit and, and the influence he had. Another Hall of Fame manager that that you got to spend a lot of time with, with you know, along with all the other guys we mentioned earlier. How was that, Joe? How was it being with Joe and, and being under Joe for for several years? And most interesting thing for me is you're you're Donnie baseball, you're a Yankee your entire career, and all of a sudden you're putting on a Dodger uni. Uh, I think it was, what, 2008. Was that was that kind of surreal the first time you did that? A little bit different, right, uh, going, going to L.A. But, you know, going with Joe is, is a good feeling uh, that he wants you to go with him. But I'm looking back at that, that's probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me as far as coaching and, and managing goes because it put me in a different league. It put me under different people's eyes. They got a chance to see your work, see your, th- hear your thoughts, hear your beliefs, um, you know, and just watch you. Right. And I learned the national league game, uh, you know, how you have, you know, as, as it was, it's gone now, uh, without the DH, 
where you you got to you got to watch your roster, you got to watch your double switches, how do you use your pitchers, what kind of stat, what kind of team you got to build in in that type of atmosphere, and what kind of players you want that are versatile uh, in a National League game. So that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me was that I, you know, I, I interviewed for the Yankee job. Girardi got it. We were both had been, both been on staff with Joe, and and obviously you want to you want to get the job. But the, probably the best thing that ever happened is I didn't get that job and, and went to L.A. and kind of earn your stripes in a different organization, right? Because in New York, you know, you're the player, you're the guy. It's like people kind of think, you know, not that you earned anything, but in L.A. I had to earn my way. And, and then that's, that was the best thing for me in those regards. And you talk about Joe Torrey. Joe's great because Joe had that even temperament. I feel like we're both kind of alike. My dad's like that. It's just like this, there's a calm. He doesn't get excited. He's, he's competitive. It's a competitive on the inside. Uh, you know, taught me a lot about having the, the confrontations you need to have with players. And I don't mean confrontations in a bad way. Just addressing things right away. Don't let things fester. Don't let things, a little problem turn into a big problem. Uh, and this is the human side of players, man. You deal with them. You got it. They got problems too. They got stuff going on with their families. Uh, and, and you have to understand that as a manager or a coach. And so learn lots of things from lots of people. Uh, Joe's, you know, he's, he's got to be one of the guys at the top of that list though. 2011, you get your first, first job as the manager, manager of the Dodgers. The, the real cool thing I saw this is you went to the Arizona fall league to kind of practice for your debut. I think you already had the job. Uh, that was pretty, pretty cool. when I was reading about that, uh, what made you do that? And uh, how was that first run? And you go to the, you go to the postseason three times in LA, but what made you do the Arizona, the fall lake managing? Well, they asked me to do it and I didn't, and I had, I had never managed before. You feel like, you know, you think you could manage and you think, you know, the game, uh, but it, it was really good for me. Because, you know, you got to kind of, you know, right before you start, you got to kind of go through some stuff. You got to set up your bunt defenses and all the little things you would do uh, during the course of a game. And I just had to manage the game. I had to give the signs to the catcher. I had to make the decisions on the pitching. And uh, a little bit, some of that's made for you in the fall league. But just all the little things you have to deal with uh, was really good for me. And, you know, the first couple of years in L.A., I didn't have a great club. But these guys played really hard for me. And I remember the first year, I think we were, I think we ended up like maybe two over 500, but we were like 10 or 12 under. And these dudes got on a roll and they played hard throughout the whole season. And I think one of the best compliments a guy ever gave me was like, you know what? We just needed a couple more weeks. We needed another month. We could have got this done, right? They believed, right? That we, if we'd have kept going, we were going to keep winning. And, and that's just a good feeling for a manager. So the fall league was great for me. Early years in LA were great. Um, yeah, and yeah, Miami's been great. Uh, honestly, it's been good for me and, and my family. Marlins, you get that job in 2016. 2016, the present. Uh, 2020, manager of the year. Um, and you're still doing it. And and it's, you know, when I when we opened the segment, I said, grind it out. I, I meant for you, I said, you're in the middle of the grind because I know what that is. You know, you just, you're in the middle of May and, and there's a long way to go. You got a young team. You got some talented pitchers at the top of that rotation. You know, I've been watching you recently. Um, how is it 
How is it? Do you still love it? Is it is it great coming to the ballpark every day? I'd, I'd have to think it is, you know, just being a a baseball lifer kind of you've become. I, I consider myself that way. I still love the game. I still watch the games. I'm I'm following all the all the races. Uh, you love working with these young kids coming to the ballpark every day. They get to they get to hang out with Donnie baseball and, and talk to you about your day. And, and how much do you enjoy sharing that with the current players? Uh, I, I love it. Uh, honestly, uh, we don't talk too much. These guys don't know yet, right? They kind of know yet, but they don't, right? These kids, I mean, I have played since 95. You know, we're talking a long time. And I don't think they really care, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I think all they want to know is, can you help me? You know, and, and how are we getting this thing going forward? And that's one of the things as a coach I wanted to, wanted to bring. Like when I started coaching, it was like, this is all about the players. If I make them better, then I'm happy. If I can help a guy be a better player, be a better hitter, help his career, that was my main thoughts. Like, I want to be a servant, right, to these guys. And that's kind of still the way I look at it. I don't want them – they don't need to know about me, right? They can – if they look it up, I'll just say every once in a while, i say, eh, whatever. Uh, you, so you can Google it. You can find out, right? <laughs> yeah. Go look and see, right? Um, but it, it's that's, – that's kind of my thoughts about it. But I do still love it. Uh, I love the challenges of, of the game and the season. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. That grind is is tough, but it's also the challenge that you love, right, to get ready again and try to get your club prepared every day. So, um, yeah, it's actually got a good club. Yeah, really good pitching. Uh, we, we signed some players this year. Uh, we're starting to get rolling a little bit. And if we get it going, we're going to make some noise in this thing. You don't seem like the guy that, that craves attention at all, but I had to bring this by before we get out of here. We had Saxy on the program, uh, I don't know how long ago. You guys were in a Simpsons episode. Funny? Yeah. Still looking back and watching that? You know, it's funny. I've never watched it, the whole the whole episode. <laughs> I've watched the clip, right? So people, right. I probably get I remember going to Australia with the Dodgers. We, we started our season there. And more people were yelling at me, shave those sideburns that had probably no idea that I could hit or not hit or whatever in my career. <laughs> it was all about the Simpsons. So that, that is pretty cool to me that that episode has lasted kind of this long and kind of almost got a life of its own. To date, Donnie, what are you most proud of? Uh, you know, I, I hope for me, look at, looking at it, Probably, I hope that people, you know, respect the way I treat them. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. You fight for respect in this game. And that, that turned over to the people that you work with, uh, people that work in the building, from the guy that's at the door when you walk in. I try to treat all these people with respect. Um, I hope, hopefully they look back and people, if they talk about me, it's the way I treat them. Because I try to treat everyone with respect and treat them well. Uh, if they don't give it back, that's fine. But I, I, I'm still going to take that road. And that's probably, I feel like I, I, I've done that through the course of my career for the most part. Donnie, thank you uh, today. It was a pleasure having you on. It was great. You know, I, I played against you a little bit. I, I definitely grew up watching you. It was fun to finally catch up and, and have a conversation. I wish you all the best in Florida. I'll be checking you out, uh, especially the rest of this year. And once again, I, I really appreciate coming on the show. This was great. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Dan? 
Donnie Baseball. I could not let you leave just yet without a quick story if you got one from when you did The Simpsons. All right. I just covered The Simpsons, you clown. Uh, I was looking for All a right, good Donnie, story you can, from it. You, you, can, you can humor him if you'd like. Just He's got a good, roll, though. Just a good story of it. You want a good story of it? Yes, sir. You know what? It's funny. This this thing, and he, he talked about Saxy. You know, basically, we went to the studio. We were playing the Angels. We They sent a car for us. We go down and do like a, probably didn't take us 20 minutes to just do our voice and read the lines. And that was it, right? And it, then it just took off, right? So there was really no, no real... Like you didn't get to meet the cast, you didn't get to meet all the boys, you weren't hanging out at, you know, at a party doing this thing. It was just like, it was Saxy and I drove down to, to from Anaheim down to L.A. did it and it was over. Well, that's a little more lackluster than I thought of you, but okay, I'll take it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's it's one of those. It's not like a great story. It's, it's like because people always ask will ask me about the Simpsons and how was that doing that and filming that. Like there is no filming of it. It's like. Basically, we could have done it just like this. Awesome. Nowadays, you could do it right over the phone, did the lines, and it had been over. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sir. We appreciate it. But I do get checks for like $8.30 like (laughs) once a year now. Ah, (laughs) your union. You, You must have been union for that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I quit signing them now. I, I just keep them. I'm I'm hoping that accountant is like, who is that guy? Who's the guy with the eight dollar check that's not coming? How come our thing won't balance? <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a pension in it if you can knock it out right. I, I I enjoy those. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. All right, guys, good talking to you. Have a good day. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.